You guys will break out your Bibles. Open up to the book of Acts, chapter 8 today. I wanted to make you aware that this past week, as we have shared in our business meeting, and I think other meetings as well, that this past week, the family of churches that we are associated with, Sovereign Grace Ministries, voted to uh, approve the polity that has been in process over the last many months. And I believe the the vote was 62 affirmed to approve the polity. I think five voted not to approve it and five abstained from the vote. So the polity has, has passed. Uh, and that, yeah, that's helpful for us in, in moving forward. Anything that is a cooperative effort of people involves structure and some level of expectations as to how we play our roles, how we relate. And so uh, this will be helpful in us moving forward. Uh, I'm, I'm excited from the standpoint of new processes that identify new needs of involvement and people walking together and sharing, giving input together. So there's still a lot of learning just because a piece of paper has put some ideas in one location where we can all find the address for here's the expectations for this. This is how this functions. This is what happens if this goes bad and something needs some help. That's, that's helpful, but it's, it's, it's not um, what Moses came down from the mountain with. It's still a document that will be undergoing adjustments, especially in the next couple of years. But I anticipate until Jesus returns, uh, we'll be adjusting the things that we understand about how to walk together. But thank you for many of you who've prayed and who have given input to us and feedback. We, we welcomed and appreciated that. And, and, and we'll actually continue to seek to do that uh, in the days ahead. Uh, another milestone this week was the... Uh, the grace of God evidenced in Jean's life and remaining married to Peter for as many years as she has. Is it 47, 45 years? 45 years. Just further evidence that we are not cessationists, that God continues to do miraculous things in the midst of God's people. So. Yeah, she is. She is. It's the other end that we were questioning. Um, Uh, congratulations. It is, I attended a funeral this week of a couple that had been married 70 years. Yeah. I mean, 45 years is, is getting to be unheard of in our culture. So grateful that there is a statement being made about God's purpose and faithfulness together. Well, if you're opening up to Acts chapter eight and you're looking around verse 26 is where we're going to dig in this morning, but let me, let me give you the title of the message first, how to save an Ethiopian eunuch. Now I know that was a question you were just asking last week, you know, you know, I wanted to see an Ethiopian eunuch get saved. You know, what, how exactly would I go about doing that? Well, that's what this message is going to uncover. So these lifelong questions of life are going to be, they're going to be answered this morning. Uh, let me pick on a word in my own title here is we're going to observe a man this morning get saved. He's going to go from one condition to another. He is going to become saved. 
That's a, uh, that's a very, very important word in the Bible. It's a very, very important concept for any of us to consider. But quite honestly, I, I know that it falls on ears that treat it like uh, he's going to get an oil change. Oh, all right. All right. He's going to get an oil change. No, he's going to get saved. This is hugely important for this man's life. It's hugely important for any of us here. I don't, know, I don't know how I titled your introduction. I think it was being saved is being safe. And if I said this morning, you know, are, are you saved? Some people would treat that like, well, I don't even know if that's relevant. Uh, if I ask you, are you safe right now in your life? Are you safe? Wait, we're in touch with safety. I want to be safe. If I am unsafe right now, if I were to say you are here this morning, you are very, very unsafe. That, that probably would get my attention more than the word saved or unsaved. But can I just tell you, if you're not saved, you are in a very, very unsafe condition this morning. Everything we're going to talk about this morning is of incredible importance to any of us here this morning who are unsafe. And that's what's described in this man's life. Some are here this morning unsafe in life. And here's a man who seems unreachable in his life. He is, he is remote. He is removed from anybody thinking that guy's likely to ever become safe. He's like unlikely to ever be saved. And we'll learn about who he is. But we're going to learn something about God here this morning. This is an individual is going to be saved, but I, I want to make sure that you see the bigness of God in saving this man. It will humble you in terms of how you ever got saved. And it will give you faith to believe that God can reach the most remote, unreachable person that you can think of in your life right now. All of us got people in our lives. If, you, if you're in touch with the fact of what it means to be saved then you're sobered by the fact that you right now, if you're saved, you're, you're, you're safe. You're safe in the hands of God. You're safe into the future. You're safe into all eternity. That's a huge, important factor. But if you're aware of that for yourself, you're also a little bit panicked by it for the people that you love who are in your life who may not be safe and who to you may feel like they are so unreachable. You've tried, you've reached out, they're just, they're just not open. There just doesn't seem to be any avenues. You have no idea how will God ever save that one. Well, this is a great story to help us see how it is that God saves the remote and the unreachable in this man's life. So I want to just draw your attention to three quick things that I'll try to unpack today to make sure we're considering all that God puts in place to reach and save this man. One, the giving and preserving of the scriptures. We'll see that in this man's life. Second, a heart that was searching, not scorning or not ignoring. He had a heart to search for God. And we're going to locate that in God before we locate it in him. And third, a witness to proclaim the gospel and lead him to Christ. God provided someone to lead this man to Christ. Let me make this note before we read from Acts chapter 8 here. You know, our series is a new normal, and we're just discovering what the Bible describes as normal. 
and trying to realize whether or not we live in the same block with this practices here or whether we've just drifted. We've got an unusual practice going on in our lives and we're discovering oftentimes we do and we need a new normal. But this is an interesting moment here to encounter normal evangelism. If you've been tracking with Acts, it's interesting by the time we get to this point in Acts, we're, you know, we're three years into the, the birth of the church. The church has been around now for three years, but it's been around in Jerusalem. And God now is dispersing its impact into the world. But for three years, we've been watching evangelism take place. And if you go back and review, almost all of the evangelism that's taken place for these first three years has been corporate evangelism. It's been a report of corporate evangelism. It doesn't negate the idea that that people were one-on-one being told about Christ. I think we can assume that that was happening. But the Bible has been highlighting corporate evangelism all the way up until we get to chapter 8, and then it's going to turn individual here. It's going to get us individually involved with this Samarit- the Samaritans. That was more of a corporate, and then individually into this Ethiopian's life. And then we're going to learn about Paul, the individual, how he came to Christ. We'll learn about Cornelius another chapter later. So we're about to turn the corner evangelistically into more of the one-on-one exchange. And, and I think that's helpful for us. What should normal evangelism look like for the Christian? Well, it should look like both. It should look like corporate evangelism. Corporate evangelism, kind of like what Frank was sharing about today. Corporate evangelism is the opportunity for the people of God to make use of God-ordained presentations of the gospel, whether it's through the church in a meeting like this or through an alpha meeting, through a gathering of believers who are there to proclaim the gospel in that setting. And there's an opportunity for everybody who's a Christian now to, to have a moment to tell others to come and see. Come and see. Come and hear. Come, come and be taught. And God has, has ordained this. That there be individuals, they were, they were leading this meeting and evangelism was taking place through gifted men called by God to present the gospel in those settings. And then today we're going to turn a different corner. We're going to get introduced to a guy named Philip, who's just a, he's just a guy in the church that God raises up and uses. And he's about to do one-on-one evangelism with this Ethiopian on a lonely road from Jerusalem. And so we get a chance to see that evangelism is both, right? Now, I want to just say this from the get-go. Is, is evangelism both in your life? Do you have normal evangelism going on in your life? To where you're imparting the gospel, you're taking the gospel outside of your own world. I think that's, that's just absolutely normal for the Christian. If, if the gospel has found you and it lives contained in you like a container with no holes in it, then you're not normal, according to the Bible. You can celebrate your own salvation and be very excited about all that God has done to save you. You can draw near to God and appreciate the affection and care that you're experiencing from God. But if that's not traveling out of you into other people's lives, then you are not a normal Christian. Feel abnormal in this moment. If you're surveying your life and you cannot find the gospel escaping from you into other people's lives, do not feel normal. Feel very awkward right now. Do not make yourself at home at that address to think Salvation has come to me and I'm so glad for how it is affecting me and changing me and helping me. And you have lost sight of the world around you. 
It's not normal. It's not healthy. And it won't put you in a good place for long. So when you go to do evangelism, normal evangelism means you have, you have two roads to travel down. You should be traveling down them both. You should be using corporate evangelism. And maybe some people here that came to church this morning because somebody invited them to come. You just you reached out and you said, hey, why don't you come to my church on Sunday morning? I, you know, I think maybe God will, will do something in your life. And, and so that's, that was your come and see moment. Or you've invited somebody to come to Alpha. So you've reached out into their life. Say, hey, come, come and see. Just, just come and listen to this presentation and think through some of these things. And you should do that. And then you should also have fill-up moments where God is leading you to an individual where you sit down with them and you explain the gospel to that person and you lead them to the point where they're ready to jump into a pool and be baptized, which is what we see here in this story. So both are important and normal. Let's read Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, And go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth And beginning with this scripture, he told the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord, thank you for this word preserved for us today. Lord, your scriptures are your preserved words intended to land in our lives. These words were intended to find us today. And so, Lord, let them have the intended impact you wanted them to have. Open our hearts to receive like you did in this eunuch's life. May we receive as he received from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me just clarify just for a moment because I think it's it's significant who this guy is. We're told that, that he is an Ethiopian 
eunuch. So he is from the land of Ethiopia. If you don't remember your geography lessons, um, I don't know how I can do a map here. I should have put a map up for you. Jerusalem over here, Mediterranean Sea, Egypt over here. Somewhere way down here is Ethiopia. Roughly maybe a thousand miles from Jerusalem is this land of Ethiopia. Uh, he is a court official. He is an important man. He is, he is riding, not walking. He is not carrying anything. He is the keeper and treasurer of, of the queen. Now, interesting, the queen sort of, well, her husband, the king, is considered an incarnate god. So he doesn't get involved in the triviality of running the kingdom. So the queen runs the kingdom, and this guy is the treasurer of the kingdom. So he's, he's a big deal. He's a, he's a muckety-muck in, in this land. But what's interesting is, how did he get to be who he is? And that's where the other title that he has becomes significant. And it actually speaks something about him, and probably to us as well. He is an Ethiopian eunuch. He's not just an Ethiopian he is a eunuch. Derek Thomas says, in some countries, a commoner might elect to become a eunuch and therefore be surgically altered in order to serve in the royal palace. Right? He has been emasculated. He's had a surgical procedure and he's been emasculated. The reason was that eunuchs ensured sexual fidelity. Right? So the king had a harem, the king had a queen, didn't want any guys being able to be tempted with the women that belonged to him. So he required that those who were going to be close in his administration would be in this condition. Interesting here. Such men traded the hope of family for wealth, security, and a status among the elite. There's much evidence that men became eunuchs in order to acquire prestigious jobs, guarding important female leaders. If you will, this, is, this was a common man who had a Hollywood dream. He saw the lifestyle of the rich and famous. He wanted that life. He wanted what he saw. He was never going to set foot in the palace. He was a no one in the land of Ethiopia, but there was an opportunity. It was a costly pursuit for him to be willing to exchange such cost in order to obtain. And, I, and this phrase is interesting. It's made me sort of create a word today. You can get to create a word. Don't Google this. It doesn't exist anywhere. But this is a man who I'm going to say eunuchized his life. Such men trade the hope of family for wealth, security, and a status among the elite. Wealth, security, and a status among the elite. Now, quite honestly, I don't care how old you are right now. Some of you younger guys that sit in here and you go, hey, a lot of these messages must be for adults. Uh, I don't know how you translate status among the elite, but I can tell you right now, no matter how old you are, you've got some group of elites in your life. You are exposed to some group that you think is elite. 
They are the ones. They're the group to fit in with. They're the ones who have a life that is the life that you'd like to have. And you've defined that somehow. Now the question is, what type of sacrifice are you willing to make to be in that group? What type of unicized activity are you willing to do? Because a lot of us here, oh, wow, a story about an Ethiopian eunuch. Ah, not from an Ethiopian, uh, and I'm, I'm not a eunuch, so I don't know if this story really applies for me. Um, I think there's a lot of eunuchized lives in America because we stare at wealth and security and a desire to have a position among the elite, and we're willing to part with a lot of things that God had ordained for us to have in our lives in order to have those things. Here's my definition for a unicized life. The desperate and self-destructive measures people will go to for wealth, security, and status among the elite. Today, people are embracing a similar pursuit by taking that which God has, God has ordained for their life as good. God has given into their life as a means of blessing, as a means of his ordained avenues of enjoyment in their life. That's what this man is giving up. He is giving that up that God had ordained for him to have in order to have a mirage in the desert. In order to gain access to activity, status, lifestyle, the rich and famous, I'm willing to part with that in order to have that in my life. And that sacrifice, whatever that sacrifice is, often is radical and it is regretful. Imagine this man lived with a huge amount of regret in his life. Listen, the Bible doesn't treat his condition casually, actually. This man made a decision that actually forfeited his rights to participate in the corporate worship in Israel. The Bible actually pronounced a prohibition of those who had made such a decision in their life to participate. Now, you know, I can't go back in and track all the explanations as to why the Old Testament law made some of these prohibitions in people's lives. But I can clearly see in this sort of a situation, the practice in the land was people taking what God had ordained and setting it aside for something else. Does that sound like anything you've heard of today? God has ordained something and men have set it aside in order to acquire their own way of finding reward, their own way of finding success and security, their own craving to find a position among the elite. So be very careful. You live in a land that promotes the elite. It creates the elite. It promotes the elite. Quite honestly, the statistics are, even if you didn't know God, if you didn't even have a value system that reflected God's interest, your pursuit of the elite is a statistical waste of time. Right, whether you're a young person growing up and you want to be in the elite ranks of an NBA basketball player, or an NFL football player, statistically, you are wasting your life. Do the math. 
Go find out how many, how many basketball teams are in the NBA. There's 14 players on the team. Do the math. Almost beyond doubt. If I was a betting man, I could, I could make money for the rest of my life betting on the fact that you will never play in the NBA. I don't care how good you are. You will never play in the NBA. But it's, it's this elite thing that got created and everybody now wants to trade their soul to have some of these things. But more importantly, statistically, is whether you could do those things. Is, is are you trading what God ordained for your life in order to have those mirage things that only later on you're going to regret? You are going to regret the trade that you made. So here's this, this man pursuing, interesting, pursuing, pursuing God. And we find him driving away from Jerusalem. He has gone to seek God and he is now driving away from Jerusalem. I wonder what the frame of mind of a person returning from Jerusalem who who just bumped into formidable obstacles in his attempt to pursue God. He just came to a very religious town and he bumped into formal. He's He's a black man. He's a Gentile. He's a eunuch. Strike three in the land of Jerusalem with its religious understandings and its Old Testament law. And he traveled all that way. I wonder what he's like as he's reading the scrolls of Isaiah as he comes away from this city, probably feeling quite rejected in what he experienced. And God is about to find this man in the desert and blow his life up. It's scandalous that God chooses to save this man the way he does. This thought from Derek Tom, or actually R.C. Tannehill. The conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch is important because he comes from the edge of the known world. That's what they called Ethiopia, actually, in in that day. It's possible some people think that Jesus is actually referring to that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He comes from the edge of the known world of the black race, is a castrated male and probably a Gentile. The story shines like a beacon declaring that the gospel is for the whole world. God is declaring, I will save and have compassion on whom I save and whom I have compassion on in saving this man. Let me move through these three things that God does here in saving this man. First... God provided and preserved the scriptures. This man is reading from the prophet Isaiah who wrote these words down 740 plus years before this man was ever born. Here he is driving down a road and there's a a scroll available to it. Where did it come from? God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write these words down. Then God superintended and made sure that that word would be preserved so that this man could read it. And interesting, so that you and I could read it. God has mysteriously made sure that word that he wrote down could be found by men. Interesting here in terms of evangelism. You know, what what do you do to reach somebody evangelistically? What kind of efforts do you give? What kind of things do you say to them? Uh, well, in this instance, it's the, it's the scriptures that lead him to Christ. That needs to have a place in our lives. 
Now, I, wanna, I don't want to say that because, you know, if you just turn back a little bit, Philip goes down to Samaria and, and his, his preaching, now I'm sure his preaching included the scriptures, but it wasn't just people reading the scriptures. So he preached. So his preaching and signs that were being performed captured people's curiosity. So if I wanted to make a case for, hey, what, what leads people to Christ? Preaching and the power of the Spirit. I can do that from Acts chapter 8. But when I get to the end of Acts chapter 8, what leads people to Christ? The scriptures lead people to Christ. Don't ever overlook the power of you putting the Bible in somebody's hands. Just give them the Bible. When I began to hear anything about the gospel, it stirred me to, guess what? Go find a Bible. I think I heard the gospel presented in about October of 1978. I went and picked the Bible up and and began to read it and got saved in February of 1979. I had been reading the Bible for a few months before I came to a place of conversion. This man is looking in the scriptures. Now, interesting for us. Go ahead, turn back to Isaiah. I want to just show you a little bit about what he was reading. Isaiah chapter 53 is where the passage that we just read comes from. But really the, the person whom it's about is in chapter 52. Look in verse 13. Prophet Isaiah is is giving a road map, is giving a map. You want to find the Messiah, pick this up and read it. It will lead you to him. It will show you who he is. Of all the people who lived on the earth, this Bible is designed to make you find his address. Isaiah 52, verse 13, 740 years before Christ, Isaiah says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lift it up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus is going to come and fulfill prophecies all throughout the Old Testament, and many of them had to do with a king who would come and rule over his people. So the images of a king would not be of a man brutally beaten beyond recognition. And I'm not sure many of the images that we ever see about the crucifixion and what that experience was like do justice to what actually occurred. I, I, I watched one time the Passion of the Christ movie. I I could only watch it once. Uh, The images of what the Lord of glory experienced was, it was overwhelming. But I think those images do a justice to what the son of God looked like at the hands of sinful men beaten beyond recognition. You barely could tell that's a man. It's a bloody pulp. It's what he looks like. And Isaiah said that of him 740 years before he came. And you read this whole chapter. I just skimmed through a couple of thoughts. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Remember Jesus lived this 
incredible life, but he never escaped being constantly scrutinized and criticized and, and looked at and challenged. Not welcomed, not appreciated, not made part of the commonwealth of Israel, but constantly treated and rejected as an outsider. I wonder, I wonder what that Ethiopian eunuch felt as he read that. A man who probably himself, riding away from Jerusalem, probably knew a little bit about what it was to be rejected and not to be esteemed, dejected by the way in which he was treated. And he finds out, this, whoever this is about, this is why he's asking the question, who, who is this? Whoever this is about, he identifies with me. He knows what my life was like. In verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is what he's reading. He's reading about this great substitution that God has done. If there's anything that's central to understanding what the entire Bible is trying to communicate, it's the word substitution. It's the story of God taking from us and laying upon him, taking our life and our guilt and putting it upon him. It's him standing in our place and receiving the punishment that we should have deserved. He took it in our place. 740 years before Christ Isaiah is spelling out a roadmap to who this man will be. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet, and this is the passage that is quoted in Acts, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Right, this scene of Jesus standing before Pilate, being accused in this kangaroo court. You wouldn't have needed much of an attorney to get off. These charges that lack support, I mean, they violated even the code of the day in terms of how a trial was to be held, when it was to be held, how witnesses were to be called. They violated it all over the place. All Jesus had to do was just have somebody to stand there and object. Just object, Jesus. And he opened not his mouth. Do you know why he didn't open his mouth? Because he didn't want to be released. He didn't want them to turn him loose. He came to take the guilt of man upon himself and he stood there silently and was accused of things and found guilty in the courts of men so that he could die in our place. It's astonished. Remember the conversation with Pilate? Pilate can't believe it. Pilate's never stood before a man who's facing death, and the guy just stood there, took the charges. Pilate knows this guy needs to be set free. This guy's got no business being in the court system at all. Don't you have anything to say for yourself? You can't get him to speak. Don't you know who I am? I've got the power to crucify you. You better speak up, dude. Jesus didn't come to make a case for himself before these human courts. He came to die. He is the sheep that didn't receive justice. But he died anyway in our place. And Isaiah 
has said this 740 years before it happens. As the Old Testament all over the place bears witness to this one. Can, listen, can I, can I just sober everybody here? I don't know if you've read Isaiah 53, spent much time in it in your life. But, but this is the same thing God provided to the Ethiopian to save him. He, isn't this weird? He was reading from the same thing we're reading from right now. He was engaging the exact same words that you and I are engaging today, that God preserved for him and God has preserved for us. And his heart launched into questions. Who is this man? Listen, I'm just curious. I mean, guys, let's let's be real here. God preserved and gave these scriptures to deliver them into our lives. If you're not reading them, what are you going to say when you stand before God and give an account for your life? You know, with, with probably some form of muscle problem or TMJ kind of a thing in your thumb because you've been thumbing through your iPhone. I mean, can you, tell me, can you really play this out? The God of the universe took the time to write down a roadmap to lead you to the son of God so that you'd know who he is and bow before him in reverence and receive forgiveness and life. And I would dare say there are some here today who have never read Isaiah 53. There are people walking, driving down Veterans Highway today, never read what God wrote down that would save them. You understand why no one will stand before God and be able to say, well, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, what did you know? What, what, what did you read? What were you a specialist in? You knew all the scores. You knew what some knucklehead on a blog said. You knew lots of stuff. You just didn't pick up what I wrote down for you to read. Listen, nobody leaving here today gets to get out of here without an awareness. Be sobered. The God of the universe took the time to write a small book. In light of eternity and the thousands of years this covers, this is a small book. The God of the universe wrote it down. If you read it, what effect might it have on your soul? It affected this man. God provided these scriptures so that this man could be affected by them. And he's done the same with us, by the way. Second, God granted this man a a heart that was searching, not scorning, that was open and not obstinate. This is is an interesting man that you find here. This is a man who is searching. He is seeking. This man has traveled. Some people say the travel is anywhere from three or four months to get there or more, I've seen some say, and to get there and back. This is a big chunk of this man's life that he spent to get to Jerusalem. He, you know, you couldn't just along your way go into the uh, Christian bookstore or go online and download a copy of Isaiah. Do you have any idea how hard it was to get a copy of Isaiah in that day? He owns a copy of Isaiah. He is few that own a copy of the scriptures. The man's riding in a chariot, reading the Bible. You could go to a synagogue and hear the Bible read. 
but you didn't have your own copy. This man has spent some funds to get his own copy of the scriptures. And now he's going to travel for months. I don't know how he got off of work. He arranged it. Peter's always saying, you want to be at something? Ask God. This guy asked God. He asked for time off. Right? Remember, the king thought he was God incarnate. I don't think the king's going, that's great. You want to go pursue God in Jerusalem? Congratulations. I'm, I like that idea. Somehow this guy negotiates time off from work for at least four, five, six months, at least for him to travel there and travel back. This man wants to know God. Listen, this is a little sobering because the prophets say, you will seek me, God says this through the prophets, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You you ever wonder why some of us just don't encounter God? Listen, there's a realm here. I'm, you, know, you can see where I'm putting the emphasis, and I'll come back to that in a second. The emphasis is on God pursuing this man. But the scriptures don't let anybody off the hook. The scriptures clearly turn around and say, you better pursue God. And the scriptures then don't say, and if you seek him casually with spare parts and spare time and spare money and spare energy, whatever you got left over at the end of the day, you will find him. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the God of the universe is worth everything that you are. The Bible says, be humbled that he even gives you the time of day. Be humbled that you couldn't find him if you search with all your might, unless he was involved in your search. You searching for God? Listen, there's some people here. People been a part of Lakeview Christian Center perhaps for a long time that you might stand and say, well, I mean, I go to church. You know, I go to, I go to covenant group sometimes. And you know, I got a Bible. I read the Bible. This guy took months, traveled across the world, went out at a costly price to get the scriptures, is reading and pondering. This is, a, this is what it looks like to pursue God. Do not be surprised one day if you encounter God speaking to you in a way and say, you don't know me because you don't really want to know me. You don't know me because you've never pursued me. Oh, no, no, but Lord, I have. I mean, I, I've, I've read a couple of things. I've, I've read probably a few, you know, paragraphs and pages every once in a while in the Bible. I have, God. Okay, get a fresh definition for pursuit. Listen, don't define pursuit. Let God define pursuit for you. Does that sound like pursuit from God's perspective? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you evidence this man in the middle of nowhere is about to personally meet God because his heart is searching for God. Now I've clearly said this in point number two, God granted a heart. Why do I say that this was something that God granted in saving the Ethiopian? Well, because that's what the scriptures say. There's no way this man is seeking God unless God is involved in his seeking. Apart from God, Doing a work in this man's heart, this man would not seek God. And so if he is seeking God, we can conclude from the evidence of Scripture that God has been involved in his heart to get him to that place. Second Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I think that's what Philip is doing here in the desert. God may perhaps grant 
them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Listen, listen, please don't make this foolish mistake. Don't don't think that you've got God, you know, the good God, the, the, the caring God, the compassionate God, and then you turn him into the God on retainer. Like, hey, God, I'll get to you. I'll get to you soon. I'm just, I'm just a little busy right now, but I'm going to get to you. Oh, I'm young, and I, I want to live life a little bit. I'm going to get to you. Don't ever, ever put yourself in a position where you're telling the God of the universe you're going to get to him. Read this passage carefully. Perhaps God may grant you repentance. You have any inkling to turn to God? You best lay hold of that quickly. Because you're not in control of whether or not you get it again. Don't be, so, don't be in this arrogant, you know, hey, the universe is all about man and man's good. Now listen, uh, you're not reading your Bible very carefully. God's not on retainer working for men. God is the God of the universe. His greatness and glory. His majesty, it it escapes us. We don't even know how to speak the language of the greatness of God. And he affords an opportunity for repentance. Be humble and run down that road as soon as you experience it. I mean, listen, I mean, this is just a small sampling. I'm just throwing you a few verses to support what I'm saying. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day, right? You see this, if God draws you, you're, you're gonna come and you are gonna get raised up. You, feel, you see the safety in this passage? God draws you and you come to him, you are, you are safe and you will be raised up. It's written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me as the eunuch did in the story. Romans eight, seven for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Do you see ability words here? These are ability words clearly used in scripture. The only way your ability is ever going to be able is if God does something to it because it's unable apart from him doing that. John 8, 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear. That's because you don't feel like hearing. You cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. But the eunuch did hear. He heard and leapt for joy and rejoicing and insisted that Philip baptize him. He heard. It was clear to him. That's a revelation of what God had done in his life. Number three, last thing. God prepared and sent a witness to proclaim the gospel and lead him to Christ. God did this. Derek Thomas says, what are the chances of a man like this, burdened by his sin and searching for answers to some of the most of the greatest questions a man can ask, finding someone like Philip on a lonely desert road. What are the odds? An Isaiah theologian, just <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, 
Right? Some people believe this is an abandoned road. There's two roads that lead to two different Gazas. And since this one's highlighted as being in the desert, some people believe, ain't nobody, ain't nobody on this road. Except this Ethiopian is traveling through the country back to go back to where he comes from a thousand miles away. It's kind of interesting. The Ethiopian was telling his story. You know, he say, you know, and lo and behold, I just, by, by coincidence, I bump into this guy, Philip. But we read the passage and we know there was no coincidence going on here. Right? I mean, if we had modern technology, uh, Philip was a tomahawk missile launched from Jerusalem. You know, I mean, you, know those, you ever see those things from the images with a, with a crosshair designed for that Ethiopian eunuch that God sent to that man. This, this was not a coincidence. This guy didn't accidentally encounter the gospel. God prepared a missile named Philip and put it in his heart and his life and prepared this man in such a way, as we'll see in a second, that he hits the target exactly when and exactly where God has designed him to do that. This man didn't happen to encounter the gospel. It was God's design that he would encounter the gospel in this place. About someone like Philip. What was Philip like? Derek Thomas says, this story cannot be divorced from everything else we know about Philip. From the moment he emerged in Acts 6, we have known him to be a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In every area of his life, Philip was a man who lived in close fellowship with God and in willing and joyful obedience to God's demands. Everything about Philip speaks of a life lived in the presence of God. He was obedient to the Spirit's leading in these strange and unusual circumstances simply because he was always obedient. That was the way Philip lived his life. So I want to close with looking at Philip for a moment and taking some life lessons from this man. What was this man like? What are some qualities in his life that makes him this life-changing presence for this Ethiopian eunuch? Well, first, he's a man of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. That's what we learned about him in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Where does Philip come onto the scene? Well, he comes onto the scene the day that the church is just sort of outgrowing its leadership and there's people with needs in the body that aren't getting met and seven men need to be found to care for this activity. And they're looking for men of good reputation who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And Philip is one of them. Philip's not a flash in a pan. Philip's not some guy just shows up in the desert there, does something dynamic, the Ethiopian gets saved. He's not some flash in the pan who went to Samaria and preached and some miracles took place. Philip's life is consistent. He's a man of good reputation. You could have talked to anybody about Philip and you'd have heard the same thing over and over and over and over again. He's not a guy who just shows up super dynamic. You know, put a microphone in my hand. I'm super dynamic. And then he moves away from that setting and he's a different guy. I want to aspire to being used this way by God. Then then these kinds of words, I think, need to describe these kinds of lives. Good reputation, which means your life is consistent. It's the same when no one's looking, when a couple of people are looking, when a big crowd is looking. You're a person of good reputation. Full of 
the Holy Spirit. He, he knows what it is to be overtaken by the Spirit. He lives his life and can tell and, and speak of encounters with the Spirit where the fullness of the Spirit has overtaken Philip. Philip is now dominated and influenced and affected by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what described this man. He's a man who is available to God's agenda. He's not too busy doing other things. He doesn't have something else more important. He sees God's desires as the ruling desires for his own life. He's in Acts chapter 6. Listen, I don't think anybody reads through that passage carefully enough to realize no one should have volunteered for this job. There's a problem in the church. I mean, if I stood up here today and said, look, we, we, we've got this problem going on in the church. It, it's, it's full of tensions and backbiting and gossip. And uh, a bunch of people aren't happy with the way in which they're being treated. And they're complaining about a bunch of stuff right now. And there's racial issues that are going on here. I mean, there's, there's some garbage that goes back for years. And we'd like for you guys to get in the middle of all that and help, help fix it. Listen, my experience with getting in the middle of conflicts is that it, when you get to the end, quite often, both parties now hate you. You started off kind of, I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help. Yeah. Okay, so what's going on? Uh, at the end, they both hate you. And so this is what he volunteers for. This is what God has impressed upon him to be available to do. There's a need in the church. Philip says, yes. There's a need in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, Philip. Philip says, yes. God, whatever your agenda is. But quite honestly, neither one of those makes sense in the natural. Do not get involved in trying to bring peace between people who've racially hated each other for years and years and years Second, do not go to the middle of the desert without understanding exactly why you're going. Because the Bible doesn't say he knows anything about why he's going. Just God says go to this road that declines from Jerusalem toward Gaza in the desert. Okay, God. If you say do that, I'm going to do it. That's the pattern of his life. He's a man with a living and vibrant connection with the voice of God. He was able to hear God in his heart say, step forward and serve the church in Acts chapter 6. He's able to hear God say, go to the desert place. He's able to hear God say, go run up alongside that chariot right there and talk to that man. He's, he's got a sensitivity to the spirit. Listen, do you know, just word to the wise. You're not going to develop a sensitivity to the spirit instantaneously in the moment that you suddenly are aware that you need it. Right, a bunch of us, you know, we get our, place, our, our lives to that place where, oh my gosh, I've got to hear something from God. I've got to hear something from God. And, and you know, God sounds like dog whistles to us, you know. I don't know what the Bible says. I don't read the Bible, but I'm trying to discern what God wants. You know how many people discern in that moment? They actually discern their own voice with God reinforcing it. It's amazing how you have no idea what God wants for you at any point in your life. As a matter of fact, if you track the history, you haven't really cared what God wants for you. You haven't looked once, but this, this is an important decision. And you make that decision and it sounds just like what you would have done anyway. But now God's in it. You know, I just, I just really felt like the Lord was leading me to, uh, okay, well, first off, what you're trying to do is unbiblical. So probably not. Uh, secondly, it sounds like you, you've always sounded like that. You sound like you've always wanted to do that. And now you're getting to do it. and You're just going to stamp God with it. This is a man who's been around the voice of God. He hears God say weird stuff. He hears God tell him to do stuff that I guarantee you, he's not eager to do some of these things. But he hears God say it. He is obedient. Right in Acts 8, verse 26, an angel said to Philip, actually some folks believe that's the spirit actually, said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. In verse 27, he rose and went. 
I mean, it's just that simple. Later on, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now, literally, Philip is the guy who, when the Spirit says jump, he says how high. Go over there. He doesn't just go, he runs. I mean, this is a guy eager to be obedient. Risky obedience characterizes his life. He's a man who knows the scriptures. He's not scratching his head when the guy says, here, this is what I'm reading. And he doesn't go, ooh, man, I'm... Ooh, I have no idea what that's about. Could we turn to another passage maybe? You know, can you find John 3.16 for me real quick? Uh, he knows the scriptures. He knows how to explain the gospel throughout the Bible. He doesn't hear some abstract, strange thing from a prophet in the Old Testament. He can see the gospel in the scriptures. Every one of us need to learn That's what the Bible's trying to teach us. It's not just trying to give us facts and figures and and unusual customs and ideas and commands that you're supposed to do in strange settings. It's trying to teach us the gospel. The gospel is in Isaiah 52 and 53. He can lead someone to a decision point. This is a a point that a a lot of modern Christians don't even try to go there. It's almost as though like, you need a specialist to get him to actually say, hey, I can, I can explain all the document to you, but well, well, you can't actually sign it until a specialist is here. Just hold off on that. Maybe you could come to church. You could sign there. I don't even know where to tell you to sign. Uh, well, if we're leading somebody to Christ, we need to be able to lead them to a decision that actually is a response to what God is doing in them in that moment. Involves repentance and faith in the person and work of Christ. Help them pray. Help them connect with God in that moment. Every Christian should be able to do that. The principle here is clear, Ken Hughes says. All of us are called to be in touch with the Spirit and with the gospel. All of us should be able to explain Christ from the scriptures. Unfortunately, too few can do these. What's interesting here for us to have Philip as this guy is, you know, Philip's not one of the apostles. He's not, he's not Superman. You know, we're reading about Peter and one of the 12, you know, these guys, they got big titles. Matter of fact, their name is going to be on stones in the foundations of heaven. Wow. I mean, Hey, come on. I'm just Keith from river Ridge. You know, what do you, what do you think I'm going to be doing here? These, I got to leave that to the special man. I don't know where Philip's from, but Philip's no one special. He's, he's just a normal dude. And the Holy Spirit is doing in him exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Power will come upon you when the Spirit comes and anoint your life to do things that you never could have imagined you'd do. And that's what he does. He is used by God to reach this man in the middle of nowhere. It's an interesting thought. Derek Thomas says, The story of the Ethiopian looked at first as one of a man in search for God. In reality... It was God searching for the Ethiopian. Philip turns out to be a tool in the hands of the great searcher of souls, as we must be prepared to be. In the seeking of the salvation of others, we are the instruments of God. And the qualities of Philip's life are wonderful qualities for us to seek we will not just respond to God's de- deployment out of nowhere. 
These qualities describe this man's life. It was why when God said, now go like a missile to this man in the desert, he goes and accomplishes God's purpose. There's a question that gets asked. If you go back to Acts chapter 8. There's a question asked by this man. I want to just take you back to the man that we started with. This Ethiopian, this man, this seeker, this man who's made some decisions in his life. This man who has tasted probably regret in the midst of all the pleasures and benefits he's experienced. He has tasted undoubtedly regret of having lived a unicized life. And he asks a question. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? this This is the question of all questions. Who is the Bible about? Who are these scriptures trying to direct our attention to? When you open them, do you, do you open up a book of how-to manuals? How to be married? How to manage your finances? How to speak to one another? How to communicate? Is this a how-to manual? Or is it a book that's, that's aiming us at a person? It's trying to lead us to who is this about? That's what he's asking. He's asking the right question as he interacts with the Bible, right? John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. What was the issue? Was the issue that these people refused to read the Bible? You refuse to read the Bible. No, the problem was you refuse to go where the Bible's trying to get you to go. You read it a lot. You Pharisees know it backwards and forwards but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Listen, you don't get life by reading the Bible. You get life by being led by the Bible to the one who gives life. Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In all the scriptures. What's this Bible about? It's about Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Now let me, let me take you curiously into this man, this eunuch's life. I'm just curious. The Bible doesn't really take us here, but I would be curious. Why is he reading Isaiah? Why is he reading this section of Isaiah? Well, if you turn to Isaiah 56, just a little bit past where he's reading, is a very interesting passage here. I just want you to read part of it with me. And then we're going to go back into his life and just realize what God was doing in this man's life this day. I wonder if he read this and backed up all the way to to chapter 52 to find out that there was a servant coming who would change everything. He would change my life. Who is this man? That's what he's asking on this road. Chapter 56, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man 
who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now, before you start translating that into what you must do, this is what the servant would do on our behalf to open to us the way to God. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you something better than what you traded for. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. I wonder. I wonder. This man seeking for God to find answers in his life has gone all the way to Jerusalem and he's driving away. He's, he's hours away, many hours away from Jerusalem by the time we pick him up in the desert here. I wonder, was he reading Isaiah 56 and hearing his own life described and thinking, that's me. I am an empty, dry man. And he backs up. And he sees this one described, this servant who would come, who would change everything. In that moment, out of nowhere comes Philip. Do you see the hand of God in this man's life? In that moment, when he is wrestling through who, who is this man? Who will do these things? And out of nowhere comes Philip into his life. Listen, I I want us to be able to receive maybe three different things from this amazing story. The first would be for any of us that feel like I'm I'm living a eunuchized life. I have longed for wealth or security or a a place amongst the elite, and I have, I have made decisions in my life. I, I have cut off the things that God intended to be a blessing in my life, and now I'm living in the regret of what I've done. Isn't it amazing? The same God who met that man on a road in the desert was reading the same passages that you and I are reading today, and he can meet you right here this morning. 
He can find you right here this morning to say, I sent my son, my servant to take your place. To receive all the punishment. Yeah, yeah, you've done things you shouldn't have done. And you feel separated and you feel ostracized because of that. But I've sent my son to take your place, to take all your punishment, to remove the guilt and the shame and to restore you to me, to my house of prayer that you might find joy in your life. Listen, if you're here in just a moment and you want to respond to God, say, hey, I mean, this eunuch heard these news and hey, baptize me now. Is there anything that hinders me from being baptized is what he asked. That word hinder, it's the same word that described the people who couldn't come into the temple. Is there anything in the way anymore? No. Your sins are forgiven. Then baptize me right now. There's some here that maybe that's not That's not where you're finding yourself this morning. Some of us here need to realize God's called us to be Phillips. God's called us to be living lives ready to be sent to those who need to encounter Christ this way. Go back, take this stuff home with you. Look at the description of Philip. Ask God. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Philip's life and I'm asking God, God, make me like this man. The last area I felt that... the Lord wanted to comfort and pray for some folks is that you are here and you are saved. You, you, you know what it is to be safe in the hands of God, but you're here this morning and you're aware people that you love are not. And you are concerned and rightly so. You are terrified for them and rightly so. But can you take great comfort that the God who can find a man on his way to being a thousand miles away from the launch site of Christianity. A man who is remote and removed. That God can find that man and can make sure he comes to faith. Can you this morning put put your hope in that kind of a God? Maybe it's somebody that you love dearly, somebody in your family you're concerned about. Will, Will they ever... They just seem so unreachable. They just seem like they just don't want to know. They just don't seem like they're anywhere near. They just don't respond to anything. This, this man was in such a place. And God awakened him in Ethiopia to drive a thousand miles for months to be in Jerusalem. And not encounter God so that he could understand the God on that road in the desert. That God can send Philip's. To anybody. Let's stand up together this morning. Lord, I, I trust that that this morning there there may be some here who identify with this Ethiopian who their life recently has been a life of searching and a life that felt empty felt like there wasn't 
There wasn't reward for their life. There was an emptiness that just pervades the decisions that they made. And Lord, maybe their life is filled with regret. Here this morning thinking what could repair the things that I've done. I've, I've thrown away so many things that God would have wanted to be a blessing in my life. And I'm full of regret, full of regret this morning. To you, God, God says that he would bring you to his holy mountain. He would make you joyful in his house of prayer. You would be accepted by him. You're here this morning because God came and sought you out. You're here this morning hearing something that maybe is connecting with your situation because God opened the pages of the Bible so you could find right next door to your need was God's provision. So this morning, if you're, if you're here and you feel like I've made eunuch-type decisions, and I'm living in regret, well, this morning, can you receive Christ into your life? Live, live in that regret no longer. Receive the forgiveness of God into your life. Receive Christ into your life. Right now, just turn to Christ right now in prayer. Say, Lord, I understand you took my sins in your life. You took my punishment. You took my bad decisions upon yourself. And you took my place. You were beaten beyond recognition in my place to forgive me of my sins. Lord, this morning, tell the Lord this. Lord, this morning I receive you. I understand the Bible is not about receiving some activity and rules and ideas. It's about you. Well, God, this morning I turn to you. And I receive you. Come dwell in my life from this day forward. Make my life whole. Give me joy. Lord, I've been missing joy. I've had no joy. Lord, would you give me joy again in your house of prayer? Would you give me the sense of acceptance? I don't, I don't need to fit in somewhere, some elite group. Lord, you are the one that I want to accept me. And you do because of Christ. This morning, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Oh, God, would you bless these, Lord? This man received and he went away rejoicing. God, would you exchange the grief and the searching for rejoicing this morning? For anybody here this morning calling upon your name, God, do that this morning. Send them on their way rejoicing, walking with you in a new life. Lord, for some that are here, Lord, they're desperate to see their loved ones saved. They're desperate to see those who seem remote and removed in their own desert somewhere, seemingly unreachable. Who can reach them there? God, you can reach them there. Who can overcome the the ideas circulating in their life, their own sense of hurt or disappointment? or pursuit of pleasures in some strange location. God, how can they be found there? Well, Lord, they can be found there because you find them there. So Lord, this morning, would you renew hope in hearts, parents who are here, grandparents who are here observing their children and their grandchildren's lives, concerned, weighted down, husbands and wives that are here who are married to someone who just doesn't seem responsive at all to the gospel seemingly on their own desert road somewhere. Children who are here, who's concerned for their parents. 
who can reach them. God, you can reach them. Lord, thank you for an awareness of how Ethiopian eunuchs get saved. And Lord, thank you for an awareness that that same God still saves people just like this today here where we are. So Lord, our hope, our hope is in you once again because of your revealed truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.